I have never known anything good to come out of a Ouija board. This is a harmless game in it and is. of itself. Yes, it is. In and of itself. Yes. But what is the reason it makes it dangerous? The, the, the doors that you open by communicating on that. This is, like a, what, is this like a window or something? It uh, is. Uh, something that a doorway. Draw, a doorway. doorway. It's all right. Look at it as a doorway, Tony. You could do it on that tabletop, Tony, with an upside down wine glass. And, and numbers and letters. Exactly. It's the communication, it's not the, the board. It's the communication, not that Ouija board. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, E. Simon. I'm the other host, Kate Rambeau. Okay, Rambo got special I'm the guests. other, other host. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah guests. that's what I was waiting Jojo. for. Jojo, Jojo in the house. Yes. A trio of voices. <laughs> we are exactly like last podcast on the left now. Yeah, we kind of are. That's what's happening. With their inside jokes, laughing just amongst each other, not caring about what other people think or say. Jojo's in town for Spooktober. You getting your, nice. Are you doing spooky tattoos? Uh very spooky. Always spooky, yeah. Do people do that, though? Do people, like, around Halloween get, like, ghosts and candy corns tattooed? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think so. Have, have you done a candy corn tattoo? Uh, yeah. On yeah. who? Some girl. Was <laughs> well, it just See. a candy corn, or did it have, like, like a little arm and like legs? A, yeah, it had arms and legs and, I think, a face. I think your next tattoo D should be a tiny little candy corn. Jojo can do it right next to your asshole. Like climbing out of my butthole, like emerging. (laughs) No, just like a little piece of candy corn right next to your asshole. Just like two candy corns fucking. (laughs) That's that's what the tattoo was? No, that's what you should get. Oh, okay. That actually is kind of cool. Yeah. It's spooky. Right. You know, for Halloween. Very spooky. And sexy, which is what you want to be a nice combination of spooky and sexy at Halloween time. Yeah. Would you get it? Do you, you ever hear heard this like when you get when guys get tattoos like right by their dicks like on the corner here the gay spot? Yeah, yeah. I had a friend in, <laughs> in high school. Did you heard that's called the gay spot? I, I do know it's the gay spot now. <laughs> I had a friend when I was in high Don't school. Don't you have a tattoo there? Uh, I have a tattoo everywhere. <laughs> I, was like, I was like sixteen or seventeen, and this dude he was a couple years older, but he he was like, "Yo, guys, check it out, check it out," and he got like the Pink Floyd, you know, the uh, the prison. The dark side of the prison. Oh my god, yeah. And he got it in that spot. In the gay spot, right in there. In the gay spot. And I remember just being like, "Oh, dude." Like, <laughs> Wait, did he? Did you see pubes? Like they show you his pubes? It was, it was in that spot, and I remember just thinking, like, "Why would you?" That is the gayest place to get get a tattoo. Yeah, I don't know why dudes do that. Like, I, I knew uh, I knew a couple guys that had the Playboy Bunny tattooed there. Also, pretty gay. I think so. And that's yeah. really gay to get the Playboy Bunny. I yeah. know a girl who had corn on as her tramp stamp, not the food. Just K O R N O R N. Yeah, See, and I, I bet that looks great now. What she should do is above that, the two candy corns fucking like doggy style. Yeah, nice. Would you do that? Say it's a candy corn. Yeah. That costs a lot to do. Become, like, <laughs> would that cost like $500? Two candy corns <laughs> fucking? <laughs> no, you just do it like you do it, do, do it life, like, life size. Like you get corn. actual pieces of candy corn. No, you just do it at, you know, small as a candy corn. You know, uh, JoJo, uh, K. Rambo's told me candy corn illegal in uh, England. Is it so bad for you? 
I, yeah, yeah I know. it's like a class A drug, right? No, it's the red food coloring <laughs> is um, illegal over here because it's a carcinogenic. Wow. So, so no candy corn. But they are delicious. Every you sent me some last yeah, I sent, time. I, I sent her the autumnal them. mix. The, with the chocolate ones. Yeah, the on Indi- those are called Indian and the, corn, not and the from pumpkins. India, like India, like casino. The casino, Indian. casino yeah. Indians. Yeah, because I'm the curry Indian. That's yeah, my you know, type of people. Seven Eleven type Indian. Seven Elevens. Yeah, over here it'd be like news agents Indians. Yeah, like Kate. I was talking to Kate on the. I think it was was that last week on the uh, outtakes. She doesn't think like Apu is problematic whatsoever. Uh-huh. Because she's Indian. But did you know Kate's Indian? No. I didn't either. My, like looking at yeah, Kate, you wouldn't think so, but huh, so my granddad was Indian. Apu? I'm not offended by anything on The Simpsons yeah. because I think if yeah. you're offended by Apu on The Simpsons, you have to be offended by all the characters. Because isn't Willie offensive to the Scottish people? Because he's do, like pastiche. Well, it's, it's, it's all caricatures, it's all you know. Caricature. It's parody. It's parody. Yeah, exactly. But there's a whole documentary about that. That's why he got canceled. About Apu. Oh, why, yeah. why he's so offensive? It's, it was called The Problem with Apu, and it was done by an Indian comedian. And he like Can we put thing. comedian in loose terms mm-hmm. there? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what's funny is one of the guys that was from Harold and Kumar, I think the guy that played Kumar, was in it talking about how like it was horrible as a kid growing up and everybody would speak like Apu around him. This same guy played an Arabic terrorist. Right. And uh, what was that? Not Was that Harold and Kumar? I never saw any of those, but I forget what movie. I think it might have been Harold and Kumar. Like I one think of it them. was, yeah. yeah. And he played like an Arabic terrorist, which is like, well, don't you think that is probably offensive? And wasn't his name like the Taj Mahal Bangladeshi or something? Yeah, it was some ridiculous yeah. uh, name, like parody name. Uh, whatever. So that's I mean, not offensive, but a poo is offensive, right? Yeah, okay. I, I don't get it. What yeah. about okay? What about like a poo holding two candy corns, fucking, but on your gay spot? Would you do that? That's awesome. That's like cool. That. That's a good and idea. Not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Everybody's too sensitive nowadays. Do they do? Everyone's uh, too sensitive. Do they do are. like uh, like the Friday and the third? Everybody's too sensitive nowadays. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. He's gonna get us canceled. Kate can it's do like, that because she's Indian. You can't. No, no, no. Back your place. Come again. No, 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 no. Terrible. Tell you about... D, D, do your Indian accent because Jojo's is pretty good. I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm not gonna debase myself to your level. <laughs> yeah, this is we're living in cancel culture, you know, and, and I don't want to. I don't want to take the risk. Personally. You are listening to Sick and Wrong. Sick and Wrong podcast with Edie D. Simon and is my host Kate Rambo and Jojo and Jojo. And people wonder why we're not in, in the top hundred podcasts anymore on iTunes. That kind of humor. It's disgusting. <laughs> so, um, Jojo, uh, do you guys do, like, is there a day where you guys do, like, just only Halloween flash? Yeah, I've done that before. Uh, that's like a, pumpkins that's a, and I think mo- a lot cats. of shops do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that. It could be fun. Spooktober. Spook, yeah, yeah. Spooktober. Yeah. Well, you know, Halloween's a month-long holiday here in uh, L.A. Like, more so than any other city I've ever lived in. In San Francisco, it used to be kind of cool. I don't know if you were there at this this point. When I first moved to San Francisco, Halloween night was like fucking Mardi Gras. It was like right in the Castro. Yeah. It was crazy. I remember that. I remember that. The Castro was crazy. Oh, it was fucking insane. And then it kind of got really ghetto and some people got shot yep. and they just canceled <laughs> it. Yeah. And no, it was like for like the late 90s, 
early aughts, probably till about 2004, till someone got shot. It was a blast. Like you yeah. go to everyone's drinking in the streets, yeah. doing drugs. The gays would have the craziest costumes because I mean, people planned all year for it and like floats and shit. It was like a big parade. It was a blast. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. But then, uh, yeah, and then, they and then yeah, it was people from outs like uh, from not from that area would come in and then and, just, just well, yeah, ruin I think, it, just ruin it, and then, and then fights there and stuff stabbings like that, and, stabbings, and a couple stabbings. Got I remember, I think it was ninety nine, it might have been two thousand. Wackerly went as a Smurf along with P Town, <laughs> a bunch of they, they all went as Smurfs, and me and my girlfriend at the time went as uh, Beetlejuice and uh, what's Winona Ryder's character? Lydia. Lydia, Lydia. Beetlejuice and Lydia. As we're all hanging out, and they're all Smurfs, like they paint themselves blue and everything. Um, yeah, they were in blue face, actually. I don't know if that's offensive. Hmm. That is very offensive. It might be to, offensive uh, to, to blue, blue people. people. Yeah. To the blue man group. Yes. The blue man group would be very offended if they saw that. But so we're walking around and we're standing there trying to, I don't know if we're like drunk, trying to figure out what to do or where to go. And some dude like walks over to me and put like his, he was like a really stocky guy. And he put his like chin on my shoulder and was just kind of sitting there. And I'm like, what are you doing? And in that second, he like grabbed me around the waist and pinwheeled me. Like full <laughs> pinwheel. Like full around. And then like I land, I'm like, what the fuck? And then he like runs away laughing. <laughs> Wow, it was weird. bizarre. The, my friends were all like Smurfs, just were like rolling on the ground laughing. And I'm like, I, I felt like my head, like, swip, like I could feel my hair hitting the sidewalk. Like it was that <laughs> close. Like it, I don't even know what happened. Weird. It was bizarre. That's weird. Yeah, it was weird. But yeah, and then they then people started getting stabbed and they sh- they uh, they shut it down. L.A. is L.A. What L.A. does, they don't do like a big party like that because I bet you that would also be very violent. Mm-hmm. But they just do events. Like there's events everywhere. There's like horror nights at Universal and Disneyland does shit, Not Scary Farms. And then there's like all the, the haunted houses and shit like that. I think, was yeah. it last year year before we interviewed a few people that uh, the guy that did the documentary on the haunts, all that. I don't usually tend to do that, but I do usually do the Hayride every year, which I love. Probably going to miss it this year. Um, but then uh, I also do horror nights almost every year. We went to that a couple times. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm a little skeeved out with the COVID and horror nights. Yeah, I don't know if I'd do it. Uh, not this year. I mean, I did. We did go to Jumbo's the other say. night and then talk about <laughs> yeah. like getting not only getting COVID, getting like COVIDs. Right. That would probably be at uh, Jumbo's. But I don't know. Like horror nights, thousands of people are there. You're inside going through those like horror mazes. It's yeah. like you're almost just asking for it. And it's all young kids. Yeah. And young and the young the youngsters, they don't like to get vaccinated. You well, know, can so, they? Are they allowed to? Yeah, you totally everyone can now. Right. But I, I just think the younger generation just is like, why we're not affected by it as much. So they just don't I think statistically they don't tend to get tattooed or tattooed, uh vaxxed as often. So that means you're like with a a bunch of kids yeah. going through these mazes, standing in line for hours. I don't yeah. think I, I don't think I'd do it this year. Not this year. I think next year. It is outside, but but not the ma- the mazes are all. No, the mazes outside. are all indoors, and usually you're well, standing least, in line right next just, to someone. You're just neck, like just neck and neck with people for hours. Yeah. At least you have the option to do all this stuff because nothing like that happens. Here. Yeah, so I was about Absolutely to ask you. So in nothing in uh, the UK, no one even gives a shit. I think I went trick or treating twice when I was. I I think I remember two costumes. 
I was a vampire in one. I can't remember. What, I would have probably been a witch. In Chick a treat. You have any jelly babies? <laughs> have you got any sweets with my sweets. teeth, mate? <laughs> yeah. I was an Indian guy one year. <laughs> this is getting so racist, Joe. Were you in brown? Were you in brown face? <laughs> did it come? Did it give us something sweet? Did you wear like a Seven Eleven uniform? Terrible. Thing that goes on your head. Oh, the turban. Yeah, you're the turban. Come, <laughs> so terrible. I don't know if we can keep having him on the show with this kind of talk. You know, it's terrible. Joe is gonna get cancelled. I know. God. So they, they don't do, do they do Halloween parties? Do you guys have spirit Halloween stores? It's, Where do you get no, your costumes? No, you, we like, well, we have fancy dress stores that are open all year round. And you can get like Halloween bits in the supermarkets, but we don't have any like pop-up Halloween shops that just appear throughout the month of October. doesn't happen. I remember some British person called in and said they went to a fancy dress party. And me and Harrison just assumed they went to some posh like event. We didn't realize like they're going to like a costume like Halloween party, and the guy was just yeah. like, "You guys don't know shit." Like he's all like butthurt about it. Well, I just remember because I'm pretty sure everyone British who listened to that episode was just going, "You fucking idiot!" <laughs> like fancy dress, it's a fancy no. dress party. <laughs> everyone knows what a fancy dress party is. Especially like the the British Indian people, fancy dress party. You don't be out of your fucking mind. <laughs> that's racist. Your yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. Cool. Not cool. Not cool. Yeah, that was terrible. not cool. See, because me and Jojo are good at the accent. It's not. Right. It's not I think offensive. really Kate's the only one that can actually do it. Because you know? she's because she has it in her. She's blood. yeah. She's the heritage. Like, she's got to be fair. We're all mongrels made up of every like nationality and creed at some point. We so. are the world, Kay Rambo. <laughs> we are the, we world. the children. We are the children, all right? <laughs> um, so Jojo, Jojo Kelly, when growing up, did you ever know anyone who is possessed by like a demonic entity? Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah, yeah. With the guy that you're talking about in the outtakes, that would go around saying chicken. Yeah, yeah that okay. guy. <laughs> Hi. Hi, chicken. He was Jojo Hi, and Kelly chicken. was talking about one of his best friends who happened to be like mentally disabled, right. and he, he would say chicken a lot. He'd also say, "You ain't gum." <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it might have been a demonic entity Maybe. that influenced his speech, his fuck? vocal patterns? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Did you, Kate Rambo, do you ever know anyone that might have been possessed by Satan? Uh, this is ye olde Britain, so we've probably all been possessed at some point by something. It's in the I water. I can't think of anyone. I, You know, that was one thing I used to ask my dad all the time, like, has he ever done an exorcism? And the rabbi would almost always say, which he said this quite frequently, be like, rabbis don't do that. So and what happens like, if you've got a golem? Rabbi, it's not really what about well, this is—it's interesting you bring that up, K. Rambo, because demons occur in every culture across culture. Like seriously, there's Dibuks, thats a Jewish demon. There's yeah, Jinn; nice. those are Arabic demons. Obviously, Christians demons. There's uh, Gi, which are uh, Chinese demons in the Chinese mythology. Uh, they refer to like a secondary soul that's separated from the higher soul at death. So it's, it's interesting that. Across all cultures, they all believe in demons. Makes you wonder, do demons exist? Am I demon? Am I demon? I don't know. So anyway, on that note, because this is our first Spooktober episode, 
Each yeah. episode will be more spookier than the preceding <laughs> episode, mm. yeah, than the previous one. Um, so I reached out to an actual exorcist, a demonologist. He's not really an exorcist. I guess kind of an exorcist. Um, but he's more of a demonologist. His name's Ralph Sarchi. Might have heard of this guy. He was a NYPD sergeant for almost two decades, like 18 years. And then he retired and became a full-time demonologist. Worked cases with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book uh, called Beware the Night that ended up uh, becoming a movie, a 2014 film called Deliver Us from Evil, which uh, was starring Eric Bana, Joel McHale. You ever seen that? It's pretty good. Mm, I never saw it, no. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I, I reached out to him. I was like, hey, you know, you want to come to the show? It's Spooktober. You know, we can get spooky, talk about some demons. And uh, Ralph was like, sure. And so uh, we, we talk a lot about it at length about demonology, working with the Warrens. And uh, also he tells some anecdotes from the set of Deliver Us From Evil. So let's, uh, let's play the interview here with Ralph Sarchi. <laughs> Hey, Ralph, how are you? It's Steve Simon here calling from Sick and Wrong. I'm doing well, D. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks for being on the show. So um, I know it's October. Is, it, is that generally a busier month for you with Halloween and all? or like, uh, Yeah, in terms it of happens. Demonology yeah, it world? does happen. Uh, the month of uh, October does actually bring a little bit more cases, I guess, you know, due to the fact that a lot of people are messing around with the spirit world more than any other time, you know, yes. the months. Also, the religious holidays are mm-hmm. very consistent with a heightened sense of of uh, spirit like activity. Paranormal as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can see people like, you know, busting out their Ouija boards during Halloween, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> is that a thing? Do people like, is, is that something you're like, don't mess with the Ouija boards? That's that's correct. A lot of people got hurt using that board. Oh wow! It's yeah, I did. Toy. I mean, I tried it when I was a kid. Nothing ever happened. It's crickets. Well, I have to admit, I used, I played with it as a kid too, um, and I never had any kind of spirit activity um, due to that fact. Not everyone is going to be affected negatively by it, but there is a uh, certain percentage of people that might actually. Um, draw something to them that's uh, not good. And, you know, we we are afforded protections from God, whether we know it or not, or whether we deserve it or not. He protects most of his children. There are a certain percentage, like I said, that will actually uh, suffer some negative consequences. Well, I think some people, too, are hypersensitive to it, whether it's mentally or, you know, physically, they they have some type of hypersensitivity to the paranormal. So, Ralph, I think it's safe to assume you're a religious man. Were you raised in a religious household, or did you find religion as an adult? Well, my parents weren't overly religious, but I did attend a uh, Catholic uh, school up until the eighth grade. And, of course, I was an altar boy. Um, And like any teenager, I, you know— moved away from God. I was more interested in playing baseball. And then when I discovered girls, you know, um, that was it. But it was over the course of my life that, you know, I always had a sense of God. 
Um, I always believed in God. There was never a point in my life when I didn't. Um, and, you know, as I moved into adulthood and I got involved in the work, my mentors were Father Malachi Martin and Bishop McKenna. So, mm. you know, it was through their guidance and influence that I uh, sought a deeper relationship with God. And, you know, it, I am at that point in my life. I still have a long way to go, you know, but um, God is not uh, put on the back shelf with me. He's form foremost and always present. Uh, a leading presence me. in your life. So, always. Uh, so during this period, I guess, when uh, you were, I guess, distanced from, from God and religion, is that when you started looking into the paranormal? Like, or, or was there an experience when you were a, when you were a, a NYPD um, sergeant? Did you have a, a, an experience that uh, made you believe in the paranormal? Well, that's the thing. When I was growing up, I never had any type of supernatural or preternatural experience that I was able to recognize. Um, and when I think back, I, I never had any kind of experience. I was an avid reader from a, from a young age, uh, from the age of like nine, 10, I was constantly reading some type of a book. And as I got older, I, uh, I discovered, you know, the, the supernatural and the preternatural realm, but at a young age, you know, I wasn't able to really draw much from it or make except sense of that. It. I, I seemed to like the horror stories and, you know, I, I'm a student of history, World War II, uh, Vietnam military history. Uh, I read all kinds of books on police officers and firemen. Um, and, you know, the, the paranormal was just another genre that I was attracted to. Um, so, and as I got older, I realized that, you know, some of the uh, stories I was reading were in fact true. So do you consider yourself to be like a clairvoyant? Like, can you see see beings no. in the the spirit realm, or sense them? No, I I, I do not have any uh, video or audio clairvoyance. The only time that I really have any type of uh, ability, for lack of a different word, gut feeling, instinct, is when I'm actively involved in investigating a case. I seem to know where I need to go and what I need to do, the questions I need to ask, the areas I need to look into. It seems to be pretty heightened around those times. But when I'm not actively involved in handling a case, I'm about as psychic as a rock. So it's not <laughs> in that radar. But do you think a lot of that's experience? I mean, you, you had almost 20 years, two decades as a, as a police sergeant. And uh, just and and you've also been a demonologist for a while. So do you think it's experience, or you know what to do in a case, yeah. or where to go? Yeah, I would say that it's it lends more to that. But there's also an element of spirituality to it, which I believe. You know, in the Catholic faith, we believe that one of the gifts of the Holy Ghost is discernment of spirits. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe that I'm afforded those types of, you know, gifts on, um, you know. A rudimentary level just to make sure that I can handle the case properly and see it to fruition. Well, it's almost like you have a deeper insight from that. I could see. So tell me about this. You were a decorated uh, NYPD sergeant for almost 20 years. 
what made you retire and become a demonologist full-time? Uh, I was just tired of the job. Oh, you're just you know, over it just at that point. <laughs> tired of the BS. I, I love being a cop. You know, I, I've never stopped being a cop. Even in my retirement years, I still feel like I'm a cop. I still have those old habits, you know. Yeah. I look at everybody that's around me, you know. Um, I look at I see everything that's going on um, in my vicinity. Um, but it, it, it just, I was on patrol for 20 years. Um, you know, I, I get a lot of crap from the job and then a lot of crap from the citizens and after a while, it just, it really grates on you. Uh, you know, I was a very violent person because I was dealing with violence. It was the only way I could respond to a lot of the situations that I was involved in. I, I worked in one of the, um, you know, the FBI considered the 4-6 precinct the most dangerous square mile in America. So I was constantly, you know, in the role I was in, I was out there constantly hunting for crimes, you know, it could have been a specific crime that the uh, the commanding officer said, you know, you and your team have to go out there and look at these burglary patterns or these these robbery patterns or these rape patterns. So I was constantly on the hunt for for some really serious crimes and some really bad people. Yeah, it's got to take its toll. After a while, I just got so tired of it, you know, and the, so the hours I worked and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got to take its toll mentally, just dealing with that every every single day, you know? Yeah, it did. So it did. did you ever deal with any cases with demonic forces? Because I know what, you you were also doing paranormal research, you know, simultaneously in your off hours. So did you ever encounter any kind of, like, demonic entity or being as a cop? Well, not, none that was out and outright manifest manifested um you know there were instances where i dealt with uh particular crimes that had occult overtones uh ritualistic overtones um a whole well i i worked in predominantly um hispanic and and um black areas so i was dealing more with santeria palomiambre voodoo hoodoo um I've even got involved with uh, a Jamaican fella that was um, uh, practicing some elements of the Kabbalah, oh, which wow. sort of threw me off. Yeah, I'm that's like, weird. What is this Jamaican guy doing with Jewish mysticism? Yeah, I was about to you know? say, I, I thought that would be like the Orthodox or Hasidic Jews doing that. <laughs> well, no. I mean, <laughs> I, I dealt with mostly an eclectic uh, type of occult practices, you know, because a lot of people, they, they read books, they might hook up with some type of... Uh, a Santero or a Mayambrero or a hoodoo priest. And, you know, they're drawing all different types of elements from different types of ritualistic, you know, practices. It was predominantly Santeria, and I would recognize it all the time. You know, when I'd go into people's apartments, I'd see the altars, yeah. you know, with their sacrifices to Chango and Ilegua and, the, you know, the, the sand, the you know, the sand head, the heads made of sand and, so you know, it it was um, it was like that, and but, but I mean, those are demonic forces like Papa Legba and all that. Sure, you know, like the yeah, voodoo, sure. uh, you know, gods. Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt, sure. But it wasn't on a level 
where I would uh, be in an area and see a manifestation. Uh, you know, I dealt with a lot of mentally ill people, and I believe that the majority of them were actually mentally ill, and it had nothing to do with, you know, diabolical activity. You know, there were a couple of uh, things that I got involved in uh, where the family members would tell me about. Uh, one particular um, instance, it was in the Bronx. I had two of my officers in one of the hospitals, and they had called me to come to the hospital because the family was saying that the person, the son, was claiming that he was possessed by the devil so that, you know, my officers knew what I was involved in, so they called me. And when I went into the room to speak to the uh, this young kid, he wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't even look at me. Oh. I wanted to see if he wanted help. Now I'm not I'm not keen on soliciting cases. I don't do that. You know. They usually come um, to you. But the being yeah, well I I don't do it any other way. You know, um, you have to contact me. I, I won't reach out to you and say, hey, listen, I know what your problem is. Um, Ed Warren had uh, steered me uh, on the right path when it came to that. Um, and, uh, I had gone into the room and the, this kid didn't even want to look at me. didn't want to speak to me. So I gave my card to the, to the mother, the family members. And I said, if he changes his mind, if he says to you that he wants help, then give me a call because I can't help people unless their yeah. intention, I need that intention from them. You know, they, they need to want the help or it's, it's, it's futile. Yeah, exactly. It's futile at that point. So um, you mentioned uh, Ed Warren there. So I read that you were affiliated with them and were cases with uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. How did, how did you meet them? Well, I was one of their investigators. Oh, okay. And, uh, on different I, cases? They're two of the people that I've read about uh, over the years. Like I said, I devoured every book that I could find on the subject. And I kept reading books you know, where the Warrens were at least mentioned or might have been some of their books or was some of their books that I read. And I came across one of the books and I read it from cover to cover. I was on vacation. I had my daughter. My first daughter was a month old. I was actually out shopping for baby clothes for her. Uh -huh. And I we went to a mall and I saw a, a bookstore and I went, that bookstore is still there, actually. Oh, that's cool. That's and cool. I, I went in. And, uh, you know, it was my ex-wife came to me and says, here, these, these are the people you, you talk about. So it was one of their books. The book was called Saints Harvest. So I read it from cover to cover that night. And I decided that I was going to call them. And the next day I did, I called and I spoke to Lorraine Warren and to make a very long story short, I became one of their investigators just a, a, a short month or two after that, I was actually, uh, you know, uh, going up to the house and uh, and taking their courses and and actually investigating cases. So what with cases them. did you work on with them? Like any uh, any come to mind? No, it was um, I actually the actually the book that I had read, Satan's Harvest, was about a man named Maurice Theriault. I actually did assist at his second exorcism. Oh wow! Uh, you know, later down the road. Um, I, I've been to a couple of the uh, the conjuring houses and things like that. You know, I would go up and visit Ed, and we would just go out. He would he would take me to a case or a case that he handled, you know. And I would go into the house with him, and I'd sit and I'd speak with the uh, with the people. And you know, he was sort of 
wanting to give me the ability to start to switch up my interviews from police style interviews into the paranormal realm style interviews. And, you know, he was vetting me. He wanted to see how I was doing. So I spent a lot of free time, just Ed and I just driving around Connecticut and, you know, uh, he would give me insights into things. And so, so did it was you a good see time. Like, uh, someone who was possessed and, and they, and the actual like demon manifested itself in this, in this person. Well, I, I've assisted at uh, close to 30 solemn exorcisms. So I have seen, you know, different manifestations of the demonic, uh, you know, in the course of those uh, exorcisms. But, you know, the, the misconception is that exorcisms are like what you see in the movies. Yeah, like the exorcist or something. They're completely not <laughs> like that at all. Uh, sometimes they're quite boring, you know. Um, there's an underlying battle going on that, a spiritual battle that we can't see. So a lot of times they become pretty mundane, you know, <laughs> sometimes you're there for three, four hours. And then sometimes they're absolutely and utterly violent. And you're, you know, you're struggling with the, the ecstasy, the person who's possessed um, for two hours straight, you know, it's, it, it could go like that. So, you know, there's all different types of phenomenon that take place. But so nothing, varies, yeah. you know, nothing overt, you know, it's all covert uh, for the most part, with the exception of maybe fluctuations in voice. Like I say, the extreme, uh, you know, violence, the the um, the strength that some people exhibit during these exorcisms is incredible. You so know, typically um, they're not crawling on the ceiling, masturbating with a crucifix, swearing. Okay, all right. No, that that's you'll see that in the movie. You know, it's it's so anticlimactic from the movie into reality that it's like, you know, what's what's going on here? You know, what yeah. people want to Is see this the working? head spinning and the yeah. vomit coming out. It's not like that. All right, bummer. Um, so I read that you uh, did end up having some differences at the Warrens. You went your own way. Um, what happened with that? Did you start your own, I guess, investigation unit or? Well, I had uh, I was working with my partner at the time, Joe Forrester. He's now passed, and we started the New York City chapter of the New England Society for Psychic Research, which I was always a part of the Warrens at that point. But then, you know, I wanted to take things in more of a different direction. They, uh, I don't want to badmouth the Warrens because mm. I consider them the people that brought me into this field. You learned a lot from they're them. De yeah. They're definitely pioneers in this field. There's no doubt about that. But they, they moved more away from the religious aspect and more into the paranormal realm than I, I wanted to go. I wanted to stick more to the the religious aspect, the spiritual aspect, because that's that's the only way that you can help these folks is is by, uh, you know, spirituality. There's no other way. You know, you can't do it any other way. You cannot will uh, demonic spirits away from a case. You need to force them. And the only way they're going to be forced is in the, the rites of exorcism and the name of Jesus Christ and the Blessed Mother. That's the only thing that they'll respond to. Everything else is a waste of time. It's just not going to work. So that, 
that's one of the reasons why I wanted to stay in that, you know, that realm. I, I stuck more with Bishop McKenna and Father Malachi Martin um, and, and sort of moved away in that manner. But not to take anything away from the Warrens. I mean, they, they were great people. They treated me like a son. You know, I can't say anything bad about them. Yeah, I've always, I've always admired them. So um, in 2001, you wrote your book, uh, Beware the Night. So was this book mostly um, like uh, uh, you were reflecting on different cases as a cop, but also as a demonologist? Yeah. Well, I, I selected, uh, you know, uh, a group of cases that I were going to write about. And I sometimes tried to put my police anecdotes to fit in with the particular case. It's, it was a little difficult to do, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to try and lighten up a lot of times the uh, suffering aspects of the families and also to show a correlation between primary evil, which comes from the devil, and secondary evil, which is the evil that we human beings perpetrate against one another because we were born with a fallen nature. We're not good. We're not born good. We need to actually be taught to be good and we need to choose it because our nature would tend more to towards the evil side or the evil towards tendencies sin. towards mm. sin. Well, yeah, that, you know, sin is evil and there is no other way to put it. So uh, we're prone to take the path of least resistance. It, it's hard to live in a state of grace. You know, it's hard to go against the, the nature um, that we have that's inherited with us, you know, um, yeah, I find it we extremely want difficult. I'm sorry. I find it extremely difficult. Tend to, uh, you know, eh, tend that's, to just go with the, the sin or not. <laughs> that's that's the beauty of it, though. When when uh, because ba I basically Father Martin put it this way. He said that the way we should be leading our lives is that we we know God doesn't want us to do things, certain things in this life. And we want to do them. And what God wants from us is that, you know, I know you don't want me to do this, but I do. But I'm not going to do it because I know you don't want me to. That's what God wants. He wants his children to be obedient, to follow his will, and to obtain eternal life with him. I mean, there's nothing bad in that. You know, it's, it's like a mother and father, a human mother and father, they're going to set up rules for their children. They're going to discipline them. You know, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to make sure your room's clean. You know, uh, I, I don't want you going out and doing anything wrong. So you, you have to do that. But when you hit 18 and you're an adult, now you um. no longer have to listen to your parents. It's up to you to make the decision on if you want to continue with the values and the morals that your, your mother and father have instilled in you. If you want um, to continue leading yeah, that type of life. you're on your own. I, I, I guess with me, it's the porn and the drugs are so much more fun. Um, so, <laughs> so tell me about that. When you wrote your book. They're also illegal, <laughs> D. They're also illegal. <laughs> so when you, when you wrote the book, it came out. It was a pretty big seller. Um, definitely uh, uh, a lot of people took notice. So were you approached based on the book um like how were you approached i guess uh for the film the film adaptation deliver us from evil 
Well, I, I was approached on the book, actually. Oh, also, so someone optioned I had, book. I had no intention of writing a book. And, you know, over the years, Ed Warren was always telling me, Ralph, write a book. And I'm like, Ed, I'm not a writer. I, you know, I, I didn't really have the confidence enough that I would be able to, to actually write a coherent book. I had a co-writer, Belisa Kayaku, which was, if it wasn't for her, there would be no book, you know. <laughs> I would write police reports, send them to her, and she would put them into a, you know, a somewhat like a comprehensive type of narrative or sentence. So, um, you know, Ed was always after me because he felt that my being a police officer, I, back in those days, we had credibility. Today, they want to hang any police officer that, you know, uh, lives and breathes. But back yeah. then, we had sort of like a, you know, um, we were sort of looked up to. We had respected, definitely more respected. Yeah, there, and, there was. So, you know, like uh, if a police officer was saying that he witnessed this type of phenomenon, people would be more inclined to to believe it than if, you know, uh, somebody else had said, oh, I saw this. People are going to say, you're nuts. Go go see a doctor. You know, you're mentally they're, they're ill. They knew. Yeah, there definitely is an authority cop, and legitimacy to it. For sure. Um, so, uh, when you were writing this book, some, so someone came up to you, they're like, Hey, we want you to, to, to come up with like, I don't know, 20 stories or something. Was it difficult to pick out the most profound experiences? Um, not really. You know, I, like you I knew right off the bat. investigated hundreds of cases at that time. And, and what I actually needed was, um, some cases that I dealt with, there, it really wasn't anything to write about to tell you the truth, you know, people experience maybe some of the stages of infestation. We'd go there, do a minor exorcism in a house, and then that was it. It was done. So, you know, I'm going to write about maybe just small amounts of phenomenon. So sometimes I mm. took elements of that particular case and would put it into the case that was chosen just to give it some validity that this isn't the first time I've dealt with this situation. Or this wasn't the first time that a family or an individual dealt with this type of situation. It's consistent within, you know, um, the diabolical stage of infestation. So, you know, um, I picked them the cases that, of course, had the most to offer as far as detail was concerned. Yeah. And maybe had might have had a backstory to it or an after story. Um, so. You know, I, I did it that way, and and that's the way I chose the cases. And I wanted to, I wanted to definitely have cases that went through the three stages of diabolical activity. What so like uh, possession and and what what are yeah, the three stages? Well, infestation would be the first, first stage, but there always needs to be an invitation before that. The difficulty is that maybe the family that is experienced problems didn't actually invite the demon in. Somebody subsequently had done that for them. So they buy a house, they buy a home, a beautiful home, they move in, and now they have phenomenon taking place and they don't they don't know what's going on. You know, so the invitation was already given by someone else, but now they're living in the air in the house. With a malevolent now they're gonna spirit. deal with it. Yeah. So that would be the you know, the invitation, the infestation. You know, it's just very subtle. Uh, sometimes the phenomenon could be overlooked. It's that subtle. They usually single out one particular person, which we call the focal person. 
The next stage would be the oppression slash obsession stage. It's a two-pronged uh, stage or attack. The oppression basically being the infestation stage now becomes a lot worse. You know, you have physical attacks in this particular stage, uh, but they're external. And then you'll have the oppression, um, you know, element to this, which is an internalized attack where the demonic is actually working on the personality. The, so that's a full you know, possession. Like they're... Well, they're working towards possession through the obsession stage, which usually brings about a drastic change in a person's personality. There becomes a hatred for anything religious. They hate the name of Jesus. They hate the name of the Blessed Mother. Like symbols they, of religion. They become, yeah, any kind of icon or religious article will become, you know, very, very, uh, you know, they react nasty to it. Um, they don't want it. They reject it. Um, they reject God as their creator. Um, but it's not quite the breakdown of a person's free will that the demon can actually possess the person in the manner they want. You might get a transient possession taking place at this point, meaning that the demon will actually possess the physical body of the person, but there's still an element of their, their will that rejects it. So the demon can't fully, you know, uh, possess the body. Yeah. The next stage would actually be the possession stage where the demon has actually reached the point that they can stay in the physical body and manipulate the physical environment around the person. So these are the stages. And stages can be skipped. I've had cases where it went right to possession. We don't know why. We don't know how it came about. All we know is that we're in this particular stage. Uh, sometimes we just have an oppression stage. We really don't have the obsession to it. We just have the external. Sometimes we don't have anything happening externally, and it's all internally. So, you know, it takes it takes a lot of knowledge and it takes a lot of experience to work around this type of stuff. And that's where I, you know, when I mentioned in the beginning, I sort of had this ability to understand where I was and where I needed to go in order to help this particular person. Mm. Because that's what it's all about, the, is helping these people. Well, in the end, you know, like... They're suffering. They're, they're suffering, you know. Yeah, it, and, and the being, mind. A, being able to recognize the stages, I think also uh, must aid in being able to exercise uh, the forces. So um, the, the movie came out, and it, 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 Eric Bannon did a pretty good job. Did you like, hang yeah. out with him to like so he could learn oh, your, yeah. your your uh, accent, your mannerisms, and all that? I, I was on the set every night. I oh, wow. was actually on the set as a police consultant. And, you know, it, it didn't quite make me feel uncomfortable, but I learned later on that Eric was a little uncomfortable with it in the beginning. Oh, with having as, you there? As we... What's that? With having you there, yeah, well, like at your presence. Yeah, well, he, he was playing my character, so I guess in the back of the mind, he was like, I hope I'm doing a good enough Being job. Judged you know, or something, yeah. He, yeah, he shouldn't have felt that way because I wasn't going to judge him. But I had to read the whole entire script into a recorder. Um, all, my, all, my, uh, all of the lines that I would say, I'd have to read. And there was a dialogue coach on, on the set. And I guess what she had done is she had taken this and she had 
she sat down with Eric and told him what emphasis is to put on certain words and you know uh well he's australian so he did yeah. a great job yeah it was it was the funniest thing it really was <laughs> because when we weren't filming he would talk revert back to his australian <laughs> accent and then it's as soon be as the surreal. cameras went on it was gone you know wow. uh so yeah it, i mean it has, a, it has to be surreal seeing your life experiences on film like that i was wondering like how i guess how does the film compare to the actual experiences in the book like did you that scene at the bronx zoo did something like that actually happen no. or is that more dramatic no, no, that was all that was yeah. all hollywood hype oh, okay you know, yeah. um, scott derrickson needed to create a narrative and he took elements of the book and i can recognize them when i saw them in the script you know and then I recognized the elements of, of my different cases within the actual filming of, of the movie. It could be just the fact that there was a point in my life when I couldn't keep light bulbs lit because they would constantly burn out on me. You know, um, that was a, a reality that did take place. But the blessed candles not burning was something in the creation of Scott Derrickson's mind. Oh, okay. That I never see. happened. It never took place. But it, it was all for the narrative and to explain the story. So, you know, I had to learn to deal with with Hollywood, with the way they did yeah. things. And, you know, the exorcism scene was great, but it was totally... Exaggerations, blown. you know, hyperbole. There would be no exorcisms done in a police station. I would have had a million <laughs> and one cops in there looking, hey, what's going on? What's going on? You know... <laughs> There was one, no way. To... I remember I was watching it recently, and I was like, "That would never happen in a police, like in a <laughs> no. witness, like in a, an interrogation room in a police station." No way. Yeah. <laughs> my captain would have been in there saying, "Ralph, get the hell out of here!" I don't want none of this stuff <laughs> in my station house. You know, Windows you know, like so, you know blowing up, and uh, yeah, it was <laughs> in the rain. It's it's like yeah, that's not gonna happen. It was cool I, looking I, though. I don't wanna, it was cool. You know, I don't want to beat on Scott. He did a great job. You know, <laughs> but that's the way Hollywood is. They got to make it visually uh, exciting for people. You know, that's what yeah. they want. It's a film, you know. So it's at the end that you still work with Father Mendoza. Is that true? Is that no, no? Father Mendoza was a was compilation of oh, okay. Bishop McKenna and Father Martin. Okay, uh, so he. So Father right, Mendoza so... was never a real character, and I have a lot of people asking me to speak to Father Mendoza, and I have to explain to them that he's Father a composite Mendoza character. Not... All right, yeah, another Hollywood, both, another both Hollywood. Father Martin uh, and Bishop McKenna have passed on to their final rewards, so they're. They're not even here for me to to speak to anymore, you know, which yeah. is probably one of the toughest things that I have to deal with is not being able to pick up the phone and speak it to the, uh, one of those two men. So later later on, you know, that movie came out 2014, a few years later, you started your show on Destination America called The Demon Files, where you're working with a team investigating real cases of uh, demonic possession. Did you have a priest on your team or a rabbi or something? No, or was it just... no, I, I didn't have, uh, I have exorcists that I deal with, you know, they're, they're in other States that, you know, I'm not even in, in New York anymore. I live in Florida, but I have a, a, a few priests, traditional Catholic priests that are exorcists. And I sent some of my cases to them. You know, if the people are close by that they can get to them. But for the most part, the only two priests that I work closely with are Bishop McKenna and Father Martin. So um, I didn't have an, an exorcist on the team. 
but I wasn't dealing with demonic possessions for the demon files. I was dealing with basically local exorcisms. And, you know, I, I do have to point out that I am not an exorcist. I'd never considered myself an exorcist. I'm uh, more of a religious demonologist. And I never performed a solemn exorcism, which is what we refer to as exorcisms of people. I perform more of a local exorcism, which is of homes. They're two totally different things. You know, the responsibility of a solemn exorcism should only be undertaken by an ordained, a validly ordained clergyman, you know. Um, so I, I, I would never see myself doing exorcisms over people. Uh, but in the same vein, uh, you know, I did write about one particular case where I had a, uh, a woman named Gabby come under possession while we were uh, performing a uh, local exorcism. And uh, we weren't going to leave her in that condition. So we did move to help her. You know, uh, both uh, Joe Forrester and I had uh, have relics of the True Cross. So we utilized the relic um, in trying to help free this woman who was experiencing a lot of transient possession yeah. um, from the start, from the very first manifestation in the case. She experienced a transient possession. Uh, although she didn't know what she was dealing with at the time. But you could tell. You could see that there were, like, signs, like telltale signs of uh, possession. Oh, yeah, she, or... she definitely became, she would stiffen up like like a piece of iron and stammering. She couldn't speak right. And it was the family members that actually came and got us because we were in the basement at the time. The family was in the living room, and they, they came down and said, Gabby is is having a problem upstairs. And when we went upstairs, she was like, you know, uh, we witnessed this firsthand. So we were able to help her out at that particular point uh, until eventually we were able to get in there and 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 do an exorcism and, and cast that demon out. Did you get the demon to say its name? Because it, it always seems like every exorcism you see, they're always like, say your name, demon. Is that like an integral part of it? Like, is that something that has to happen? Well, yeah, there, there are certain questions that the exorcist has to ask of the demon and he, he needs to very, very um, stick very, very narrowly to those questions. We want to know how the demon entered. We want to know why. We want to know what keeps it there. And we want to know what its name is. Because once it gives you its name, now it responds to that name. Because before we actually get the name of the demonic spirit, we don't get that all the time. Uh, you know, there are a lot of times where the demon won't even speak. We deal with a a low-level demonic spirit that I refer to as the brutes. They don't speak. They growl. Uh, they're more animalistic in nature. Um, they're very violent. Uh, the exorcisms are extremely violent. Um, and they give up the fight very quickly. Mm. And there are other demons that are more of the intellectual nature. The they will. Kind. They will speak, you know, and they will try to manipulate. So the exorcist needs to get to a certain types of questions. But a really good exorcist like Bishop McKenna or Father Martin have the experience and the knowledge to know where to go with the questioning, you know, when it comes to, to that. Because the demon under under the command of Jesus um has to give us the information we're asking, but they can mix lies in with it where they can try to 
confuse the exorcist into not giving up any information that's going to be helpful to its expulsion. It does not want to leave. It will fight, you know, like like hell, no pun intended, to actually not leave. Has anyone ever died on one of your exorcisms? One of mine? No. no. Uh, but I mean, any that, that you've witnessed. Yeah, because I mean, if it's that, if it's that violent of a struggle, imagine it could well, happen. I, there was one particular case where it was a woman. She suffered a broken rib uh, because her exorcism was so violent that we needed to exert a lot of force to actually keep her in her chair. If not, she was going to break free and possibly assault the bishop or maybe run from the church. Um, so we would have to exert a lot of force on her. Um, and she was only like 90 pounds. Oh. And, you, you know, we're talking, it was about Super eight of us strength. there. And we were all big guys, you know, we, we, we were strong guys. And we were there because we were strong. And um, the, the, the exorcism was just so violent that she did suffer from a broken rib, oh. you know. But no deaths well, uh, during the exorcism. But it's happened. I, I know cases well, that you, it, it you read has about happened. it every now and then. Um, yeah. so did you ever confront, or did you ever see an exorcist confront any of like the A-list demons, like Belial or Astaroth or any ones like that, or even like <laughs> Satan himself? Well, they throw names around sometimes. You know, oh, okay. sometimes they'll refer to themselves, "I'm the devil." You know, but we we've dealt with demonic spirits. Because they come from the nine choirs of angelic spirits. They were angels at one point before oh, the rebellions. Yeah. There are three hierarchies of these angelic uh, choirs, and there are nine of them. And Lucifer was from the Seraphim Choir, which is the highest choir uh, in, the high, in the first hierarchy. He was the closest to the throne of God, even though he never gazed upon the beatific face of God. Um, they went through a probation period, and he rebelled during this period, this free will period that God afforded the angelic spirits, because God wants us to choose him of our own free will, and that's why man has a free will, to choose him or not choose him. And we alluded to some of this earlier when I spoke about making the decision on committing sin against not committing it. Um, so we found that Sometimes we deal with demons from a higher choir, and we consider them devils Devils because they can manipulate blessed objects, and they can withstand more prayers of exorcism. So uh, that's why I say I believe that the brutes come from the lower like choir. lower level, yeah. Yeah, because they don't exhibit as much power as, say, a devil might. Um, but in the same vein, even a demon from the lowest choir has much more power than us human beings will ever have, you know, so I have to make that clear. It's being a demonic the only, entity. The only authority we have over the demonic is in the name of Jesus Christ, so, period. So, Ralph, I uh, got to get out of here, but I just want to plug uh, your new series that's going on on YouTube. It's called Deliver Us From Evil. Is that also uh, similar to uh, the Demon Files? You're going out and doing real-life exorcisms and helping people? No, no, people? no, no. What, what I'm doing is actually I'm, I'm, uh, my light went out. It does that. When um, I'm, oh, wow, just I'm now. actually— The light just—was it yeah, a new light bulb? No, no, no. Actually, when it heats up too hot, I, when I have it plugged into— 
when I plug it into a computer source, it doesn't shut off on its own. But when I plug it into an outlet, it gets too hot, so it shuts off. Uh, it's it's automatic. It does oh, okay, that. So all right. I wasn't like a the demonic light change thing. And it happens. Oh, okay, don't I thought it was thrown. like a demon thing there for no, a no, second. No, 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 no. Okay, the, okay. They don't they don't mess with me. They they know what's going to happen if yeah. if they do. But <laughs> what I'm doing right now with the uh, Deliver Us from Evil the series is I'm going through the chapters of the book. I'm putting up audio of the actual interviews. I'm going into maybe some details that I didn't put into the particular uh, chapter, which I pretty much put all the details needed. But there is like maybe certain asides that I might want to talk about. Then after I'm done with going through each chapter in the book, I'll go into um, the the movie. You know, I'll talk about the behind the scenes. Like, you know, Eric Banner was a comedian. That's where he got his start. Yeah, yeah. And Joe McHale is Joe, Joe McHale was his partner, too. And Olivia Munn was in and that movie, yeah. Probably the funniest guys I ever met because <laughs> the whole thing, when the cameras weren't rolling, you know, it was just one funny, witty thing after another, you know. <laughs> and I had some give and take with Joe McHale because we would, we would have a battle of wits. And I think in all of the t the 33 case you know uh, scenes we filmed i won maybe one or two of the, the battles of wit he was so witty that i could never beat him yeah, in he's a battle quick. Of wit. that guy's funny <laughs> unbelievable mind when it comes to comedy so and there were a lot of like little things that would go on and then i want to go into the demon files after that i have a lot of footage that didn't make the show you know, i spent a week at each case and you only saw 48 minutes of, of that case so i have a lot of footage that um i didn't make the show that i would put on uh you know the channel and then you know i, I have uh, was involved with hostage to the devil with father martin and i have i have a lot of video of him because he used to come down to my uh my classes and teach my investigators and it oh, was a cool. treat having him you know and 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 these private talks that we you know we would well, have amazing that you, that. Have, you got to have a relationship with him i'm definitely going to check it out we'll put a link to the series uh on our uh on our site also people you thank can check you very out, much i appreciate you can, that you can check out ralph's book beware the night uh you can pick that up on amazon well, can i say one thing sure beware beware the night the title was changed to deliver us from evil oh okay. what i don't want people to do is to go buy both books they're the same book oh you know so <laughs> if if you have Beware the night. Don't go buy Deliver Us from Evil. If you have Deliver Us from Evil, don't go buy Beware the Night. It's the same thing. So we, it was. I just wanted to make that clear. So it was subsequent yeah, published. Oh, pressing. Movie so tie they changed it. It was a though. movie tie-in. That's all it was. It changed the title. All right. Well, people, so you could, go I, do I'm a sorry search. To interrupt. I just wanted to make sure that people don't go out and buy the same book. Ah, well, then thanks for clarifying. So yeah, people, you can do a search. I would, I would do uh, one or the other. It's the same book. And also, Demon Files is still on. I know uh, you're not doing it anymore, but there's a few episodes people can still go check out. Um, Ralph, thanks for chatting with me this morning. It's been, uh, been a lot of fun yeah, having you on thanks. the show. Thanks for having me. Great All right. interview. All right, take care, you have man. Have a good day. Yeah, you All too. right, buddy. Bye bye. <laughs> I like how uh, Ralph was too religious for the Warrens. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's saying something. something. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I thought, wasn't uh, Ed Warren like a minister or something? Was he ever a minister? I know he's a demonologist. I thought he studied theology or something. Yeah, I think he was a minister and then they left to pursue. But they they were highly religious. Depends if you believe they were um, shysters or not. Yeah. Because there's the big debate about the Warrens, isn't there? That they were, co- they were just very elaborate con artists. I like the Warrens. No, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by them. I think it's interesting how uh, he learned about demonology from Ed Warren and then worked cases with them, which is pretty cool. It's amazing. But then went his own way, started his own chapter. You know, I watched the movie, kind of prepping for the interview delivers from evil. But check it out. I mean, it's interesting. I, I feel like, uh, you know, as you kind of said in the interview, a lot of it was like very exaggerated. I mean, they took they took elements of the book and then just made it, you know, Hollywood exaggeration, hyperbole or whatever. But the the scene with the interrogation where it's like the guy the guy that's possessed, he has you know, the 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 characters, the main character who is uh supposed to be Ralph Sarchi, uh his family or whatever, and he's like possessed by Satan and they do like an exorcism in the interrogation room and it's like the glass is exploding and there's like rain coming down. It's like, could you imagine that happening in like, and you know, like central lockup and like in New York city of the cosmos. Like, what the fuck is going on? Do you see Eric Banner <laughs> naked at any point? You do not. Well, I will not watch this. Movie. Not watch that movie. It's all I want in movies is to see Eric Banner. Naked. Same with Jojo. Same. same. Yeah. Same. same time. Yes. He is a handsome man. My only criticism, well, there's a couple, but my main criticism of the movie, way, 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 way too much Doors. They're just Doors music. I've never seen a movie use that much Doors music except for the movie The Doors by Oliver Stone. Let's see. <laughs> Which had a lot of Doors music. And, yeah. yeah. Sadly. Sadly yeah. has a lot of Doors music. <laughs> anyway, uh, people, this is uh, episode 811 here, Sick and Wrong. I will get some phone calls coming up next. Spooky. Very spooky phone calls. Um, before we get to that, here's a word from our sponsor, Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we got a few uh, phone calls to get to, spooky phone calls. 323-522-4032. People, give us a call. We will play your spooky calls. I'm talking ghost encounters, encounters like paranormal experiences, any kind of anal ghosts that you might have. Joe Kelly's had a few of those. Ghost rapes. <laughs> ghost rapings. Anything like that. We want to hear about it. So give us a call, 323-522-4032, and tell us about these ghost encounters. They can also be with demons, too. That's fine. That's, that's, that's cool. That works. Or even aliens. I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, this first call is from uh, Christopher Siege. Christopher nice. Siege was haunted. And he calls this, he entitled this, The Haunting of Christopher Siege. <laughs> I like it. Good evening, D and Kate. Christopher Siege here, calling in to tell you... It's a very macabre voice. He's got a, a great tale radio voice. ...of a hellacious haunting that I suffered all the way back in 1997. Back in 97, Ooh, Little music. Siege was a mere 12 years of age, and he had just moved in to a ground-level apartment with his mother. 
In the ensuing weeks, the young siege began experiencing nightmares. Not multiple nightmares, the same nightmare. The nightmare was the same every night. It was this is kind of odd. It's creepy. The same nightmare. You ever had anything like this? Every night, night after night is weird. But you obviously always have recurring nightmares throughout your life. But... I still get the same wet dream. <laughs> what is it of your poison t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> Rest yes, in it peace. is. My, my poison uh, jit gel rag. <laughs> Everyone has one. Now, I had a t-shirt. I don't think it's that weird. I had a t-shirt that was like an old poison t-shirt that I used to like you know, have under my bed. I'd come on it. I don't think but, it's, but as don't you think were it's coming, weird. as you were coming, you were looking at the Brett Michaels face. That's I good. was not. I was looking at like probably Cinemax, Skinemax, like scrambled, and like maybe seeing part a part of a titty, and then I would You're just kind of me... reach under the bed and I'd grab that T-shirt and just come on it, and then just throw it back under the bed. Did this shirt say "I want action"? No. You ever listen to the lyrics of that song? It's it, it's so rapey. It's I that's the action. rapey song. Yeah. Her, I'll take her and make her. Yeah. Oh, that's he weird. says that. Right. Can't do that anymore. You, can, you can't. No, it's me too. Me too. Get canceled, mate. You'll get canceled. Bullshit. God. Man. <laughs> I'm going to make the action, bro. Yeah. God. Could you imagine, like, giving Brett Michaels action? Yeah. I can't imagine any straight head. female woman in history fancying that man. I just Michaels. think he's so deplorable. I think he's so ugly. Maybe yeah, Chris Procedure is having a nightmare of Brett Michaels <laughs> every night. Have... That would be terrible. Brett Michaels taking off his bandana and seeing oh what's God. underneath that. Just his bald head. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, the I'm horror. thinking that his entire scalp comes off. Oh. Yeah, his scalp. <laughs> Always set in his bedroom. But it wasn't quite like his bedroom. No. It was clearly the same room, but the furniture was different. And everything in the room was ablaze, completely engulfed in flames. On a bed in the middle of the room was a body burning alive. Young Siege was quite disturbed by this nightmare that haunted his dreams each and every night. Who's the body? Who's the body burning alive? Body burning alive, you'd see it every night? Was it like uh, somebody new? We'll find I out. I don't know. We will. He soon began sleeping in the living room. And once he did, he discovered that he did not have the nightmares. No. So he spent the remaining several months that he lived in this apartment sleeping in the living room. Until one day, when he walked into his bedroom in the middle of the afternoon. Just as he passed through the doorway, he felt a large right hand grab his left shoulder. Gordy. <laughs> magic fingers. <laughs> that, was a, that was like a, maybe a pedophile biology teacher. Uh, He'd be like, magic fingers uh, on all the boys. Yeah. Sounds like the ghost of Gordy. Push him to the ground. He told his mother this tale, but she did not believe him. No. Creepy. The remaining time they spent living in this suite, young Siege slept in the living room each and every night to avoid the hellacious nightmares he had been suffering. 
We later moved away out of that suite after less than six months living there. Not because of the haunting of Christopher Siege, no, but because my mother is a homophobe and we had lesbian neighbors. <laughs> keep it sick, keep it wrong. Way spookier That's than the amazing. rapey ghost. Yeah, the ending of that. <laughs> lesbians oh my god canadian lesbians as well yeah that's scary wow that was good christopher siege you really set the scene there with that one you know the the gauntlet has been cast i don't know if um other fans can reach that caliber of phone call but you know we invite you to i'm speaking to you swede swede's done this before you know with the music bed um, has, yes. That was good. I didn't, you know, I had a uh, Joe Kelly. Have you ever been raped by a ghost? I do every. I get raped every single night. <laughs> <laughs> is that a ghost or is that like that homeless guy that? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> that lives uh, who in really loin. <laughs> Your next door neighbor. Uh-huh. Um, Jesus. yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> I remember one of my exes, Heather, used to say that. Uh, when she moved into this is a house she lived in the Berkeley Hills, that she got raped the first night she was in there by a ghost, and I was like, uh, like raped how? What did she feel like something going into her puss, or yeah. like was she just held out? She really felt something going into her puss. She she said, did it feel like an Asian man? Did it feel like um, a a white man, or did it feel like a black one? She said, you can tell. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> So, I think what she she was saying that so she was it nothing something or something wow now this is gigantic <laughs> yeah um I don't know which I don't know how hung the uh, rapist ghost was did I think she I did ask him about it no, she said that she was like she woke up in the middle of the night she felt like something on like a like a entity or a like a feeling of weight on top of her holding her down. And then she felt like something going in her, but not like <laughs> not like fucking her, but just kind of like inside of her, like in her. Oh, he just it, so it, she, he was treating her like a microwave. He just wanted to put something inside of her, and just kind of like yeah, like just and just like it warm it up a little, and yeah. held her down. And she said she like was having a hard time breathing, and she couldn't really like move. And, and but you know she did a lot of drugs. Yeah, I mean that's well, hilarious. I don't know how, it's kind of yeah. like a dream. I also don't know how, yeah, like, um, I don't know, reliable her recollection would be. Right. You know? Not the most trustworthy. Not the most trustworthy. Yeah. yeah. But, That's hilarious. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you, K. Rambo? You've been uh, raped by a ghost? No, but I, I wank in my sleep. Or touched so. by a ghost? No. Why would I need to be? I can touch myself quite I thought you said you okay. worked at a restaurant that was haunted. Yeah, this is like a really old pub, but I still don't believe. I don't believe, although I want to believe. I do like the story. You were never you touched said, inappropriately in this restaurant. I know. I was. I was groped in the ribs, David. Take your mind out the gutter. Like groped by the ribs. ghost or groped by a patron? Uh, no, by no. I don't know what it was because it could. It just felt like somebody, like you know, when somebody jabs you in your ribs to like make you jump. I was stood next to where the old bar met the new bar, and like this is a really old pub as well. It and dates you got back poked. to like Charles the Second, not poked with, um, a, <laughs> with an a Asian white or black man's <laughs> poker. I just got poked in the ribs, like when somebody like 
tickles you. And Makes my manager you. was stood directly opposite me. And because I, I looked to my right when it happened, because I thought it was one of the chefs coming down, taking the piss. And she was like, what happened there? And I was like, something just poked me in the ribs. And was... the other people I'd worked with had heard like people whistling and had heard disembodied voices in the um, really old part. But I never. Yeah. Um, did you turn around and see like a being in a white lab coat going magic fingers? Yeah, Gordy. No. So he would come uh, around and be like magic fingers and just your shoulders. I am I am the wrong sex <laughs> for Mr. Gordy to be taken a liking to. Yeah, that's weird though that you get uh, poked in the ribs. So yeah, what so did you know. do? Were you just like what the fuck? Well, like I Bloody jumped, hell. Yeah. Oh, what the fuck? And my manager, because my manager lived there, and a king used to live in this pub, used to come and spend the night, and like you could go into his bedroom. It was like a historical site. And his bedroom was fucking creepy. It had not been changed since, like, 1640. Wait, was it bedroom it upstairs? His... Yeah, because he used to stay in this in this pub. So Who his bedroom, the bedroom was there. Um, was it um, King or oh, Duke of Gloucester? Was it Richard? Richard the Third? Prince Philip? Oh God, yeah. I, wish. I don't want. I don't want poked in the ribs by him. <laughs> I bet you he probably you. would. Also, I'm too old. <laughs> I'm too old to be poked <laughs> in the ribs by by thing. Maybe Prince yeah, Andrew, his, he'd poke you. His bedroom upstairs had not been changed. Had his original bed with his original bed sheets on it. Wait, his foot, and it was freezing. But I don't get it. Was this part of the pub? Like you could go up there and check yeah. it out? Did people hang out up no, there? No, it was a closed site, but it was in their apartment where they lived. So it was a locked door, but they had the key. And like every so often she'd be like, do you want to come upstairs and see the king's bedroom? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. Wait, she lived in the haunted pub next to the haunted king's bedroom. Her, it's in their house. It was a bedroom in their house and it was locked by the historical it's Mental. Did uh, she have a lot of experiences? Yeah, she truly believed in ghosts as well. She probably got raped by a ghost. She would have loved it. It would have been up her alley. Up her puss puss alley. <laughs> um, I think this next guy was violated by a ghost. I um, firmly believe that. You're right, D, Kate. How's it going? It's your favorite Irish man here. You know, the one that fingered his dead baby. Liam Neeson? <laughs> what? The one who fingered his dead baby? Liam Neeson didn't have a dead baby, did he? He fingered it. Wait, <laughs> Joe Kelly, you ever heard this? It's a very common thing to do in Ireland. Is what? When you have like a stillborn baby, you finger just it? finger it, a little diddle. Just... <laughs> Nobody wants to die a virgin, so yeah, he was right. trying to stop the baby from dying in shame. Right. Yes. Uh, well, I have to tell you, I've got another one on the way. Uh, haven't fingered it yet, so I don't know what sex it is. Good. But anyway, that's a story for another day. I know you don't like dead baby jokes. Anyway, uh, I was across in Scotland for a wee trip and uh, was driving up and had booked a hotel in the middle of, in the arse end of nowhere, as we would say. It out in the middle of nowhere. I hadn't heard anything from it. So I thought, oh no, I hope it's not a scam. No confirmation or anything. And it was driving. Kate Rambo says most of the uh, hotels in the areas of Scotland are just utter shitholes. There's no in between. You're either paying 500 quid a night for and getting yourself a beautiful like 
room in a Victorian hunting lodge. Or you're paying 50 quid a night and you're getting bed bugs. There's absolutely no, there's no in between. Mm. Shite hole. Yeah. And Loch Ness is boring. I've said it a million times. It's just a boring part of the world. What if you would have seen the Loch Ness Monster? Well, then it's obviously exciting, but you're not gonna. Moving <laughs> <laughs> along, got up to it. Looked a bit derelict. There's no lights on or anything, although it was the day. Uh, so I drove right up to the door and I looked out and got out of the car and walked around a bit, rang the doorbell. There's no answer or anything. And nobody came and there's no number and I got no confirmation or anything. And I was like, this is a bit strange. So I started looking in the windows to see if it was still still going or if it was shut or anything. And as I was looking in, didn't I see the fucking owner hanging up on the rafters oh, uh, by his neck, just staring out Whoa. the window at me? Wow. The Scottish bastard had gone and killed himself <laughs> and... Uh, he hadn't even let me know. <laughs> I would leave a terrible review. Oh, yeah, like no stars. Just that, yeah, it would be like zero stars on like fucking Yelp. I mean, that's the sucks. place smelt like death. <laughs> would you still stay there if there was nowhere else to stay? Well, it would be free, wouldn't it? Be free <laughs> well, I don't there. know. Maybe not because you might have booked on hotels.com and already paid. Oh, shit. Yeah. A lot of places like that, though, want you to pay at the property. I would ask for an upgrade. What I'm amazed about, there's just no one else there. It seems like a serial killer thing at that point when you're like, oh, I'm driving up to this like kind of derelict looking building. There's no one else around. The lights are all off. I've not had any confirmation. But yeah, I'm still going to go up. I'm going to have a look and knock on the door. And this Was is he by himself? That's what I want to know. Like, real, like... It seems that way. Yeah, like yeah, by your lonesome, it. just you, just one day. I mean, that that would be even creepier. All right, now I gotta find out what he did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I had to call the call the police, and of course they came out and did a bit of questioning. And anyway, I was like, I booked here last week, and didn't hear anything. Arrived up anyway, didn't think much of it. And yes, I looked around and. Obviously, COVID had got the better of him and he had just hung himself and he was just staring out the window. Anyway, uh, so I had to go and book another place. And of course, I booked it through one of those stupid travel agents and they don't have a number where you can call them to get your number back. But And in their frequently asked questions, they don't have my hotel owner hung himself and I need my money back. <laughs> So, anyway, peace out, and uh, loving the 800 and something episode. You're probably at 1,000 by now, but hey, almost there. Peace out. Suck my balls. Right, that rocket. He's Swedish, right? He's got a... No, he's Irish. I was thinking, I was thinking Irish. that. I was like, for, for an Irishman, he must be very nor- Northern Irish, because he's, got, Swede, he's yeah. got a Swedish kind yeah. of little, yeah. yeah. He's always an Irishman, though. Your favorite Irishman. Yeah, your favorite Irishman. But he's. T- I was so, thinking towards the end, he sounded very Swedish. I would have demanded my money back. Well, you should get your money back because you've not stayed in the hotel. I definitely would have. Uh, I would have demanded my money back. Um, but yeah, so what happened? <laughs> you just go stay somewhere else. That's weird. 
Well, you, well, you'd have to. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Be like, no, would... uh, no officers. I am staying here tonight. I would probably just go in. What if, okay, what if you, like, you know, got the key and just went to your room and just stayed in your room? Right. Would you not have gone in and looked for some money before you rang the police? I'm not a thief, K Rambo. Jesus. But where's the money going to go? Where's no one's not going to rob this guy. the guy? Would you rob the He's place? Been... I probably wouldn't. But no. I mean, I get, I get it. You make a good point. Like, I mean, the guy's dead. Yeah, but what I would, what I would do is I'd probably just check myself in, right. get my keys, maybe get some room service, and go and uh, hang out in my room. I already booked the room. I literally, hang out, <laughs> hang out with him, <laughs> hang out with the owner. Yeah. That Seems is like weird, he's really though. good crack. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I would investigate the place for some money in a box to be sure. God, look at this. You sure you're not a gypsy? Uh, right. No one else has discovered the body, have they? And how long has he been hiding there? Oh, he booked it last week, so no one's discovered his body in a week. I might so take no a, one who cares. Rip. I might take a good bottle of like Jura if they had one, or Macallan or something, and then maybe go to my room that I already paid for and just leave the guy <laughs> hanging. I mean, who cares? It's called in the morning. I'm tired. Make... I just drove across country. Would you not? Make a selfie video with him and put it up on YouTube. TikTok. And get infamous. The TikToks. TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. What the kids use these days. Hanging around. What's that? Uh, stranglers? <laughs> Just do that and make a TikTok video. That'd be cool. All right. We got a couple more calls. Thank you there, uh, Irishman. And uh, refresh my memory about this dead baby fingering because I, I, you'd think I'd remember that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. I feel he was he the guy who had the car crash. And it happened while he was driving his wife to hospital or something. No, no, I think that was Greg. Was that Scottish Greg? No, Greg had a car crash, but his wife wasn't pregnant. He wasn't driving her to hospital. I feel like that's the What, he fingered his dead pregnant wife? Possibly. God, Kate Rambo. Things she thinks about. I don't even know. All right. Two more calls. Uh, It's part one, part two, but they're short. Uh, Naughty Night Nurse. Haven't heard from her in a while. Awesome. What's up, D? What's up, Kate? Sounds like you're channeling your inner rabbi there, D. Anyways, I had to stop the podcast the first 10 minutes, not even, because you said you were back in Michigan and no one ordered ranch. Like, what the fuck? I'm also from Michigan. I'm actually here in Michigan right now. just arrived in Flint. Flint town. My sister's getting married. So I'm gonna test this out. I'm like, are... I want to know where she's getting married in Flint. You know, you know, it's funny. You you've heard of Flint, obviously, the water crisis and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember when we first moved to uh, to this country from from uh, from South Africa. We were in Bay City, and my dad was trying to like still kind of sell it to us, like it's cool. And so we went to Auto World in Flint, Michigan, which you're you would obviously know because you're foreign, but you'd never know. But it was like, you ever seen the movie Roger Me? Uh, yeah, at some point, yeah. Yeah, well, Michael Moore goes to Auto World, and it's like, they tried to make, because GM was like a thriving industry and like a plant and everything there, and when GM closed its shuttered its doors, the whole town just went to ruin. The whole community went to ruin, and that's, that's why I became impoverished and very you know, violent and unsafe area to live. But anyway, Auto World was this like, Lame attempt at building a theme park. It was the lamest theme park ever. So we stayed at a holodome as if my brother didn't even go. My brother's like, fuck this. 
I'm not, fuck this. I'm not even doing it. So it was like me, my dad, my sister, and my mom, and we all go to Auto World and we stay at a holodome. It's like a holiday inn, but with like a pool and a little play area. And then we went to like Auto World, which is like the lamest thing ever. I'm sure Naughty Night Nurse like might remember coasters? it. Yeah, but but like car themed roller coasters. There weren't even good roller coasters like, either. Like just weak roller coasters. Yeah, like yeah. shitty roller coasters and yeah. shitty not even roller coasters, rides. Like yeah. shitty car themed rides. I wonder what happened to Auto World. Like if it still exists but it's in decay. Like how big? <sighs> it wasn't very flags? big. Like a six flags type of thing? Yeah. yeah. Kinda but smaller smaller than like a regular six flags. Bigger than like uh, the Santa Cruz Boardwalk. Little bigger than that, more established than that, but smaller than like, like Universal or Disneyland. But yeah, Auto World. I'm, I'd like to know what happened to that. The Gander is not eat pizza with a ranch anymore. Is it just people our age? Like, what the fuck? I literally will not eat pizza without ranch. Like, no lie. There's no fucking ranch. I no totally pizza agree. eating is happening. Anyway. So here I am live, reporting in from Flint, Michigan, follow up <laughs> on D's case of, do Michiganders still eat pizza with ranch? Stay tuned. She called she call back here with a part two. What up, my Jews? This is Nutty Nighters, reporting live from what is now St. Ignace, Michigan, in the UP. Eh? Oh, the UP. Don't know why I did a British accent, but here we are. I asked about the ranch and pizza situation. My parents denied ever using ranch, which is a fucking what? lie. Said, I don't get it. It's like a badge of shame or something. I don't get it. I thought it was like in Michigan, everybody used to do it. I, I recall any time, even when you go on dates, you go anywhere, Olive Garden, wherever, you get pizza. Someone's like, do you got any ranch dressing? Is this kind of like Texas with the A1 sauce? Like you can't eat a steak unless you've got A1. I don't know, we're vegetarian. But do, do you do do you do that? Do you eat ranch dressing? Not, that was not from where. Yeah, the, I I'd never done that. Like a New York. What's, not what's New York in New York? Thing? Yeah, what do New Yorkers dip your crusts in? Well, you don't need to dip it. You in just eat it. You eat, you no, eat you've you've got to dip the crusts. Over here, it's garlic mayonnaise or nothing. Yeah, just in, won't in eat Michigan, it's ranch dressing. You pour ranch dressing in, then you dip the crust in it, and it's it's amazing. I really, really want some pizza this. now. <laughs> Until like uh, my ex girl, like she Smith said something about her ex boy, uh, my ex girlfriend's brother would do that. He, they're from Michigan. I, that's not a. I think maybe it's just like strictly like a Midwestern. I think it's a Wisconsin Michigan thing yeah. too. But I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. You know, it's weird. It's it's funny too because you like if you ever eat like pizza with an actual Italian person, they're horrified when you even suggest this, or you go to yeah, like an Italian take- restaurant. Yeah, but if you take an Italian to America, even put them in New York and say, enjoy this pizza, they'd be like, what, this is no pizza. Yeah, yeah, they'd be shocked. <laughs> oh, the New York pizza is some of the best pizza in the world. Yeah, it's good. It's one of my favorite. Yeah. yeah. But ranch dressing, I feel, I don't know, I feel like if you're already, like, splurging to eat, you know, the pizza, like, I don't eat pizza all the time, but when I do, I'm like, yeah, I want to enjoy it. I want to get some fucking ranch dressing on it. When is pizza bad? Even when pizza is bad, it's still good. Like, there's never been a time where I've even not been able to eat a pizza. Eat the pizza. We used to call it the fat girl surprise because fat girls love ranch dressing on pizza. Yeah. <laughs> These podcasters, I know, it's good. said we stopped using ranch. Is this true? Like, yeah, ranch is not a thing with pizza anymore. What? For me, it will always be a thing. 
Can I need a piece of that ranch? All right. Keep it safe. Keep it wrong. Love you, Kate. Paul. Love you, Dee. Bye. Thank you there, Naughty Nightners, for doing yes. some like on the ground investigation there. And uh, like, she's I love like her on the scene reporting. Now, I went to uh, Michigan last month and I was hanging out with uh, the Kesslers and we went out with their, I don't know, it was like young kids, Sarah's young kids, and then Annie, and then people like my age and like and older. I was the only person at a table of like 16 to get ranch dressing. And everyone's like, really? Why would you do that? And I'm like, this makes no sense. Even though the waiter at the restaurant was just like, sure, here's some ranch, sides of ranch. Like they already had it prepared because people obviously order it. But at this table, 16 Michiganders, I was the only one that ordered it. And they were all like, so what, like they all, it's weird. They all just had that crust dry. They just had dry crusts. Dry crust, yeah. I no. You don't eat the crust? Yeah, but Jojo, if you had ranch dressing or garlic mayonnaise or hot sauce, you would eat the crust. No, Joe's manorexic. Like you. <laughs> is that why you two are so perfect together and you're now currently in He love? convinced me to get a blender so I can make smoothies now. Yeah, no more solid foods. No more solids. Dee, yeah, yeah, Dee has been asking me for smoothie <laughs> recipes because he's never had a smoothie before. No solids, Cave Rambo. Yeah, you are degressing now. <laughs> Just anyway, sauce and smoothies. Thank you, Naughty Night Nurse. And thank yeah, you, uh, you, my favorite Irish guy, and Christopher Siege for the sp- Spooky phone calls. Although I find it exceedingly spooky that people don't re- eat fucking ranch on their pizza in Michigan. That's spooky. I, that frightens me. I agree. Uh, people call Sigaron Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. If you if you aren't already on the Patreon, I don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life. I really don't. Like <laughs> I don't know what you do with your daily existence. But seriously, support your favorite podcast. Sign up for the Patreon page. We're like. Almost at our goal. We're so close. We're like three hundred dollars away. We're pretty close to it, and uh, and and I think that's why you know we. I think a lot of people are coming on Patreon now and signing up now because we're producing so much extra content, um, like a, an extra show's worth of content, literally every week right. on the Patreon. Uh, for five bucks a month, you get a, a, a the news story, phone calls, um, and access to the Discord. I think this week uh, we talked about that L.A. mother and daughter. We're facing murder charges and the death of an influencer who died during a butt lift. Like their butt lift just went awry and she died. Um, also on the outtakes, me and Joe Kelly were talking about a celebrity encounter that occurred here in Los Angeles. We saw, and I'm still stunned, Fabio. It was oh, amazing. You, should, shouldn't even, you, should have, you shouldn't even say who we saw. You should just say... Celebrity encounter, you gotta pay. Oh, just tease it. Yeah, it's behind a paywall. I don't know. I mean, if you guys want to hear about this encounter with Fabio and how excited Joe Kelly was to see Fabio in the flesh, you're gonna have to sign up for Patreon. Literally, everyone younger than me is going, Who? (laughs) (laughs) Who? Who the fuck is Fabio? I don't know. It it was really weird seeing Joe, like, so I don't know, overcome. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Just get like I started blushing. <laughs> it was, it was. You were really into it. Really into it. I was. Just, you were like overcome with emotion, and I remember being like, "Do you need some alone time to gather yourself?" And I walked ahead. Yeah. Anyway, you can hear about that. Also, the phone call this week was a good one. It was the story of the day the Wad's dad died. It's a long narrative. It's a long story. It was. Yeah, and a lot it was of the first official turns. meeting of the uh, Dead Dads Club. 
there was a period where Kate got very emotional. <laughs> you know, there's, there were some emotional moments. You know, all three of us, are, you know, our fathers are deceased. So it was a very, it was a bonding experience. So you have to go to uh, patreon.com slash sick and wrong to check that out. And for just a few bucks more, you get our sick wrong news segment this week. Uh, special guest, Big Titty Goth Detective is going to be uh, joining Kate Rambo. You know, we were also talking the outtakes. Uh, JoJo and I went to uh, Jumbo's Clown Room the other day. I went to Jumbo's Big Titty Goth Detective. Yeah, Big time. Titty and, Goth uh, Detective mind-swept your girlfriend at the time, and then she was yeah, disgusted because this, the drink didn't have booze in. That's what I wanted to bring bring up. This is a term that the Brits use called mind-swept. Have you ever heard this? I oh, heard mind, this mind-sweeping, but mind it's mind-swept because she did it in the mind-swept. So, yeah. Mind sweeping. It's kind of gross. This is how COVID spread. This is why the Delta variant is so bad over there. We've all um, done it. I've never done this. But so uh, explain explain what mind sweeping is. So we were at Jumbo's. I'm there with, uh, with uh, my ex and uh, Sophie's there with Jim. And we're like all drinking. And uh, yeah, so mind sweeping. My ex is... gets up and goes to the bathroom. Yeah. And Sophie um, had finished her drink. And your ex had had one drink all night. She hadn't drank much of it. So Sophie was like, there must be like four vodkas in that. It must be really strong. So she picked, because Sophie's drunk. So she picks it up to drink it. Because that's what mind sweeping is. Mind you'll... sweeping. You go mind and... sweeping is usually when you'll go around to like other tables or you'll see an unoccupied drink and you'll drink it. Some, a random now, drink. A, a random drink. drink. I'm sure this doesn't happen as much as it used to happen. Who does this? It used to happen. Someone was drinking, yeah. and you drink out of their drink. It's a free fucking drink. It's this mind sweeping. This is how you get right? COVID. Me and Sophie are the, are the same age, so this is this is what happened when we were like teenagers. Nowadays, you probably won't do it because people put shit in their drinks. Yeah, but how yeah, do you know picked, if it's like Bill up... Cosby gave you that drink? Yeah, it, it is Cosby. a dangerous game to be yeah. played. But when you've had a few drinks, you'll do anything. But she picked up the drink, drank it, and she was like, it's fucking Diet Coke. Your <laughs> My ex, ex didn't drink. Had been, had been in Jumbos <laughs> for like however many hours you were there, drinking a Diet fucking Coke. She was like, yeah. what the fuck? And she We've put been there for at least two hours. She didn't even yeah. drink. Yeah. yeah. What so- the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Big yeah. Titty Goth Detective will be doing a guest Love appearance it. on the news. And also the uh, Sick and Wrong Minnesota Overkill uh, this week is about a female werewolf, which you never hear about, uh, in you the state not. of Georgia. So yeah. people go check it out. A lot of things going on on Patreon, and we do appreciate you uh, showing us some love Isn't that called over a there. A she-wolf? A she-wolf. Oh, a, a she-wolf. she-wolf. Yeah, I guess it would be a she-wolf. Yeah, yeah. Female uh, werewolf. Uh, patreon.com slash sick and wrong uh, finally here uh, we got the uh, the T public store it's going crazy go get your wacky spooktober sick and wrong merch over there go wear a vart t-shirt wear it proudly sick podcast.com slash shop click on the picture of the Pope and uh, sick and wrong song of the week I was thinking about this I've been putting a lot of forethought into this a lot of planning as I typically do for this show I want to like get some like spooktober, like spooky theme songs, everything like Halloween themes, you know. And so, what what better band to start off uh, sick and wrong spooktoberfest than? Stop gonna, saying I'm, spooktober! I'm gonna punch <laughs> you. <laughs> it's spooktacular this month <laughs> on here on the podcast. It's very spooky. Um, lots of spooks. <laughs> 
That's racist. <laughs> what are you? I'm talking about ghosts. I'm talking about like paranormal experiences. I don't know where I'm you're. I don't know where you. you guys are thinking about. This show right. is canceled. I don't know what you. I have no idea what you guys are even implying here. Okay, it's a spooky month with spooks. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna have the show with a very spooky <laughs> <killer> band. <laughs> And I'm going to pronounce it the real way, Sanwin. But everyone ha, says, fuck you. Danzig's going to come and put yeah, no. you. Everyone says Sam, Sam Hain. But uh, it's uh, the band in between the Misfits and Danzig solo project, Sam Hain. Great band. Song's called All Murder, All Guts, All Fun. It's from uh, their 1984 debut album, Initium, uh, which is a great record, actually. So we're going to end the show here with that. Um, Thank you, Ralph Sarchi, for being on the show. I'm going to add a link to Ralph's uh, new YouTube show, Delivers from Evil. I'll put that over there on the site. Uh, we'll be back next week with episode 812. It's Spooktober. It's going to be a spooky <laughs> one next week. <laughs> Until then, keep it spooky. <laughs> <laughs> asking me about like he wanted a, a tattoo and he was asking me like how much he wanted a lion and he kept on saying a loin a loin 
And I was like, what? And he was like, a loin. And I was like, oh, you want a loin? And he was like, how much? And he was like, uh, I told him, I said, I don't know, around $300 or something. And he goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 no. $30. $30. $30? And I was like, Me, you can get feeling. the L. You're like, I'll yeah. do the lion's paw. Yeah, yeah, I'll do like a hair. Like a hair. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you can get the L in lion. <laughs> I'll do the tails. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. you come back and for another 30, get But a, that get a kind of thing has happened so many times where I was like, it's not a, this isn't a. It's, it's not a haggling session a, here. Yeah, We're not price. like negotiating. That's the price. Yeah. 